Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Yes, it is your friend again, the Queen Mother. Here because it is a very special episode of sorts of our screening country. This is yet another batch of 20 movies. The first of 20 movies that these boys will watch, criticize, tear apart, chew with their teeth and turn into a pile of gristle and shit. Because these boys are hunters, they're animals, they're apex predators when it comes to the films of my country. So I welcome you back for two more, two more rounds of 20. This has been the Queen Mother from Beyond the Grave. Good night and God bless you all. The, the Queen Mother needs to kick her smoking habit. <laughs> She's getting real raspy. Yeah. Real raspy. She's going to knock it off. She says That's she why she died, I think. Smoking? Yeah. Yeah. I and they so. still let her smoke in the afterlife. That's weird. <laughs> well, I mean, the afterlife, who gives up? Fuck. I guess nobody really cares up there. It's not like you can get cancer again, unless you can. Oh, wouldn't that suck if you got to heaven and then you end up with lung cancer in heaven? Well, I mean, we can always ask Alec Guinness next time we do one of his movies. That's true. Was he much of a smoker? I don't remember. I mean... <laughs> they all did. I mean, he was British, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. You could hear it in his voice. That's what he might sound like. Uh, wow, that was pretty spot on, Jason. I, you know, I, I like Star Wars. Well, speaking of Star Wars, Jason, this is a podcast called For Screen and Gundra. And I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And every week we bring to you uh, an episode about a movie on the BFI Top 100. That's the yes. British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time list as composed in the year of our Lord, 1999. Sorry, Edgar Wright. You're out. That's right. You, you got nothing, bud. I mean, has he made a good film? Never. Not <laughs> once. And I'll fight him if I have to. He's kind of short, right? <laughs> um, and that's what we do most of the time. And this week, we are starting our 61st movie, Jason, Woo! off this list. So we've done more than 61 when in total. I'm 61st. <laughs> starting a new batch. Here we go. Gotta get your rankings out. It's gonna be real easy to rank so far, cause this is the first of 20. I wish I didn't save this parody for three episodes down the road. Will you still kill me? Will you still fill me when it's the 61st episode? Brandon could just cut this out and put it on the 64th. Will he do it? No, he's far <laughs> too lazy. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. I'm assuming you're all clapping right now. I, I raucous, raucous stand up in their homes. <gasps> their headphones are getting knocked out of their Oh, their, no. Their wait, maybe we should wait till they put them back all in. Right, just wait a sec. Okay. Okay. Are you back? Are you back? Uh, left, just the left? Okay. The now left. we're going to. Oh, Try no. the right. Oh, oh there we there go. There we go. go. Hey, hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. That is the stupidest bit we've done so far. <laughs> the entire run of the show. I think we've still got a bunch of episodes left. There's still time. That's true. Um, okay. So that is the premise of our show, Jason. Yes. So before we, uh, before we launch into our first episode of this batch of 20, we do need to read some comments about the last movie we finished talking about, and that was Chariots of Fire. Can we start doing our podcast with just low, throbbing synth music underneath? I mean, why haven't we been doing that? It, it would add a real, like, dreamlike quality to our to this experience that I think I would appreciate. So you want to do the the uh, podcast equivalent to Brazil? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Um, Jason, we've got comments to read. Oh, do we? Eid. From Chariots of Fire. That was the last movie we covered before last week's awards show. Man, people dang old like dang old Chariots of Fire, man, I think. Well, yeah, it's pretty... It's... Yeah. It is, it's divisive? It, I would not even say divisive, but... Uh, let's go through these first, right. then we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, first comment here is from Andrew Littlefield. Not gonna do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Wouldn't be prudent. Uh, Andrew Littlefield says, For a long time, the Academy were serious Anglophiles, and this movie is basically a masterpiece theater episode with good music and camera work. It'd be a real high-budget masterpiece theater episode, but yeah, I, I get behind that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that description. Uh, Sharon Horowat, I saw her comment on Facebook. She said, I would agree, describe this movie as aggressively okay. It's perfectly fine, but I would have preferred on Golden Pond to win Best Picture. Uh, if I had to give it uh, to one of the Oscar bait titles that year, I also think it's funny that Ian Holm and the, uh, lost the Oscar to his co-star John Gilgood for his performance in Arthur. Mm. We t- uh, I, think, I think we did talk about it too, where John Gilgood and Ian Holm, both in this movie, Ian Holm loses the Oscar in this movie to John Gilgood's other movie. Yeah. <laughs> so Also, uh, Raiders was nominated that year, was it not? I think she was saying... If, a, if yeah, an no, Oscar, Oscar bait, bait movie yes, had absolutely. to win. I mean, certainly on Golden Pond. Raiders big, uh, and Reds, too. But yeah, I mean, in, in retrospect, if, if we had to do those Oscars over again, it's like, well, Raiders clearly is the one that has stood the test of time. And Reds. Everyone's talking about yeah, Reds. everybody's talking about Reds, baby. A three-hour movie about communism. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's great. It's, yeah, it's no, same. Warren Beatty, uh, uh, for all his faults, is an entertaining how, actor. How did Warren Beatty not win for his Oscar Beatty? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew P. Eels, another regular commenter here. Uh, I saw it in the theater with my family when I was nine. I think Mm. it was one of the pivotal films that developed my early tolerance for what can be described as Oscar fare. I remember enjoying it quite a bit at the time, even if I did not understand everything entirely. I watched it again perhaps 20 years ago and still enjoyed it. It really does have a great cast and some top-notch performances. I like seeing Ian Holm. I like seeing Ian Holm in just about everything. So do I. Uh, it certainly resists being categorized in what people think of as the top sports movies, but I think it deserves to be there nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, uh, so of sports movies, it is certainly a movie that should be noted in the annals of sports movies. I think it's a sports-adjacent movie. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's... As opposed to a sports-in-jason movie. Hey. Yeah, it's. I guess it's less about the sport and more about the people, but the, mm. the sport is a big part of it. But I mean, uh, I mean, you could argue that's a lot of sports movies, too, yeah. as they do focus on character quite a bit. 
Yeah, they do. It's not just footage of a of a game on a TV. But this this movie's no. This is not the Killing Fields where ten minutes of the movie is footage on a TV Mm. of someone watching. Quick side poll, Brendan. Do you have a favorite sports movie? I haven't watched it in a while, but remember the Titans sticks out a lot. Mm. I do yeah. remember really liking that. It's a very feel-good movie. See, I was always when it came to football movies, the 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 film Friday Night Lights is fantastic. I don't remember it at all. It's good. One of the best soundtracks in movies. It's great. I um, saw Any Given Sunday not that long ago. It was but I good. will go to my grave maintaining that the greatest uh, sports film ever made is 1990s Days of Thunder. <laughs> I thought you were going to say basketball. No, well, basketball is certainly number two, no question. But but Days of Thunder is definitely number one. Because we look like a monkey fucking a football out there. And if you want to hear about Days of Thunder, you can check out my other podcast, What Were They Thinking? Which you're probably like, Jason probably doesn't agree with that episode. <laughs> uh, so uh, our next comment on Chariots of uh, Fire. Chariot, Chariots of Fire. Our, our next comment. Well, Ed, Ed. <laughs> That's right. Ed. Our next comment is yes. Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire. <laughs> Chad Howard. Chad. Chad Howard says, I liked it. I'm drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it, but it's almost a case where the film is overshadowed by its opening. The remainder of the film often struggles to return to the emotional exuberance and the connection contained in that short sequence. Yeah, uh, in retrospect, if the whole movie was in slow-mo... Um, I don't think that's what he means. <laughs> no, but that's what I want to think he means. Okay. That's more funny to me. <laughs> the entire thing is just... I do think if everything had the emotional weight of that opening scene. I agree. But also it kind of does. I mean, I would argue that the whole thing but, is is a bit overwrought. But and I everything think, feels weighty because it's meant to. But I still... Uh, but I think he means because the opening is very well mm, shot. Mm, mm. And the rest of the movie is like, it's fine. But if everything... I'm not saying that it, if, if it went for the same kind of emotional weight. I'm saying it actually felt like that emotional weight from the opening mm. scene. Because I think... I think well, we may look at it now and be like, well, that's kind of overwrought. It does pack quite a punch. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, that absolutely. first shot. It's, um, a, it's a weird movie, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, Louis Camara says, I liked it when I saw it in the theaters when I was 12. But when I... What's this with people going to see fucking Chariots of yeah, Fire with really. their children in theaters? Guys. Yeah, the, it, the movie's about running. I guess it's probably fine for the kids. Guys, let us know. Didn't it have two F-bombs in it, too? Uh, no, oh. God, no! This is like a PG. Yeah, I know that's what I'm saying. No, not even PG thirteen. Yeah, well, that it was pre. Yeah, pre- I know, but this was like, it would still be PG, I yeah. think. Um, yeah. So anyway, he liked it when he saw it in the theaters when he was twelve. But when I revisited the movie much later on in life, it almost killed me dead with its restrained and subdued good taste. It's what my mother-in-law is talking about when she says <laughs> movies should be classy. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what your mother-in-law thinks. I agree. Yeah, I know. I know her. She's she's a good gal, though. Don't give her too hard of a time. Next up, we got Michael Curley. Michael Curley says, Meh. I've been thinking about this recently. I find a lot of the prestige films of the 80s, including many Best Picture winners, to be unremarkable and forgettable. I see the 80s as a decade when popular films were far more interesting than prestige films, maybe for the first time. But maybe that's just a product of when I was born, 85. You I actually... Whippersnapper. I actually... Uh, older than me. <laughs> I actually uh, wrote uh, wrote down a few of the movies from the 80s, especially like the, you know, the big Oscar winners what and stuff. What do we stuff. got? So, I mean, just to some of the Oscar winners, we got Ordinary People, 
Okay, uh, and that's a song I know. Uh, Gandhi. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, we'll ter- like that. Terms of Endearment. Okay, I've heard of that. Weaver. Amadeus, Out of Africa. Rock me, Amadeus, Amadeus. Last Emperor, Rain Man, Driving Miss Daisy, Dances with Wolves. Driving the only, Miss Daisy. The only real outlier to that entire list is Platoon. Yeah. Um, because everything else now, and I'm not saying I hate every other movie that I just listed, but no. they're all very Oscar. Yeah, they're they're t- they're the expected type of movie that you would expect. Now I, I I I'll stand by my I didn't care for Gandhi all that much. I, I know understand. we differ on that point. We but, do, but uh, yeah. So I mean, that's just I mean, that's just an example. Those are just the winners. I mean, you also had stuff like Prizzy's Honor, uh, you know, Children of a Lesser God. Uh, <laughs> the, I, I mean, maybe Mississippi Burning. You could probably mm. put in that in that category. Uh, Dead Poet Society, Le- My Left Foot, which we covered on this show, okay. although that is a really good movie. Um, but yeah, I agree. There's a lot of stuff from back then that was very, uh, very stuffed up. Next comment we have is from Corey Hale. Corey says, I understand why people don't like it, but I thought it was fantastic. One of my favorite films, but it's not for everyone, and I get that. So I hope people extend me similar grace when I say how much I dislike films like Donnie Darko, Punch Drug Love, and 90% of the Chris Nolan catalog that I'm sure a lot of other people enjoy. I will leave that for me, commentless, or else I'll just get angry. Jason, do you have anything to add to that? Well, hey, we all have different opinions. I mean, we all can't like everything, right? I watched about half of Punch Drunk Love, and I, you know, it was fine. Didn't didn't stir me in my soul. You should watch the whole thing. It's a mm. great movie. Mm. I'm more of a Billy Madison kind of guy. Get out. <laughs> it's a great movie, and I don't care who wants to fight me about it. Punch Drunk Love is hilarious. I think it's funnier than any other Adam Sandler comedy. Uh, okay. Next up. Adam Pellman, what is he saying? Adam Pellman, part of the... Madam Pellman? No, well, Madam Adam Pellman. (laughs) One of the faces on the Mount Rushmore of our commenters says, I really like it, but it was not deserving of best picture. Plus, I've always been distracted by the way Eric Little flails his arms when he runs. I get it. (laughs) I get it. You're just like, look at that guy. What's he doing? What's he doing with those arms? What, what what would be a you don't want to call him a sissy because that's not acceptable anymore. But what's something that kind of? <laughs> but it's okay for you to just mention it. Well, no, I, I don't want to say that specifically. But there's got to be a term that kind of gets that feeling without being offensive. Mm-hmm. What would you call that? Uh... He's a religious man. It's fine. No, it's all right. Uh, S. C. Williams Holt says hard pass. Unfortunately, I love the soundtrack, but it's a snoozer. Raiders or Reds should have taken the top prize at the Oscars. The 80s was renowned for these long, drab period pieces like Gandhi, this passage to India out of Africa. Most have not aged well. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, yeah, another one that makes that point that these are these drab period pieces that got all these Oscars and then are pretty much forgotten about yeah. now. And Passage to India, is that not the David Lean film? Uh, I believe so. That is that the one in last... which... I've not seen that one. Alec Guinness wears a very dark brown face? I mean, it would not be out of character for a David Lean movie for Alec Guinness to be in brown face. It's certainly not without precedent. All right, finish, finish us off, Jason. Mm. I, need, I, need to, I need to orgasm. Finish me off. <sighs> I'm sorry, Chelsea Gibbs, that now is the time I read your comment. My apologies, but here we go. Could not get into it. I saw it a couple years ago with my dad, who always talked about it, how much the story moved him, so I finished it out of respect for his feelings. The story is nice, but I thought the movie was kind of a snooze. Great song, though. Yeah, well, that was nice of you, uh, Chelsea, to you. Uh, watch that movie out of respect for your father. Um, we all sometimes do things for our families that we don't really want to do, do we? <laughs> and see what I mean? Like, a lot of it's not really, like, overtly negative, but it's very, like, 
eh. yeah i mean it's i there, there's so much i like about it but yeah it's not a movie i really have any interest in ever watching again but I i'll put ha- that fucking vangelis soundtrack on no problem i don't have any strong opinions really either way yeah but Jason, this is time now for the last thing that we do here. All right. Um, before we get into this week's episode, ow, we need to talk ow, about. Yeah, baby. Yeah. This was number nineteen on the mm. BFI Top One Hundred. Oh, <laughs> Wolfman, yeah. cut it out. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah. This, number nineteen on the BFI Top One Hundred. We compare it to number nineteen on the AFI Top One Hundred, and that movie is on the waterfront. Oh, with uh, Brando. Mm-hmm. Mm. You never seen it, no. right? I figured. I've seen clips. Every, every year at the Oscars. More and more, I'm thinking this podcast needs to become Jason, what the fuck? And it's just me showing you movies you've never seen every week. There's a lot of movies. And there's only so much time in the day. And uh, I like video games. Jason, you could do both at the same time. Yeah, but then am I really giving any the proper appreciation they deserve? Yep. Hmm. You just run around in circles on the video game. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so obviously you have to do by default to Chariots of yeah, Fire. Yeah, I guess so. I will uh, give this to On the Waterfront. That is a great movie. And, I don't doubt you're correct. Uh, Marlon Brando. Um, was that, and, it? Was that uh, I could have been a contender? Yes. Which is actually, if you, you know, it's it's a funny thing to kind of like separate from the movie, mm. but that scene is amazing. Yeah. Uh, and Carl Malden. Carl Malden doing an amazing oh, job as well. Oh, big nose. Yeah, big big nose Malden. But uh, that's going to do it for these comments, so we got to get into it, Jason. we got to get into this week's episode. We've got to educate Rita. Watch out, lady. Music can only mean one thing. We are talking about 1983's Michael Caine vehicle, Educating Rita. Michael Caine's vehicle? Is this a sequel to Genevieve? Yeah, exactly. Rita's the car. (laughs) Yeah, so this is 1983 and number 84 on the list, Educating Rita. Um, And yes, like you said, Michael Caine. This is also directed by Lewis Gilbert, who we talked about before because he is the gentleman who directed Alfie. Also with Michael Caine. That's right. Yeah. So, so uh, right out of the gate, gotta say. So knowing that, and also seeing that this movie's about Michael Caine and a young lady, my first thought was educating Rita, educating her with his dick. Mm. That was my first thought, and I, that just laid laid the groundwork for what I was kind of expecting when I was watching this movie. So expectations were slightly uh, uh, subversive. Yeah, uh, yeah, slightly. Slightly subversive. <laughs> Um, and, and I would, I said, I believe I had a similar thought in my head when I saw Educating Rita. I said, dot, dot, dot with misogyny. (laughs) Um, but we also have Julie Walters making her on-screen debut. Yeah. So she'd been in movies, but like background roles mostly. Um, she was a voice heard off screen. Yeah. She's like, like 15 movies just as an off-screen voice. (laughs) Farmhands assistant. (laughs) Uh, no, this is like her, she didn't do that many before this though, but this is her big like feature film debut. Uh, so Michael Caine of course is playing professor Frank Bryant. Uh, Julie Walters is playing Susan White, although she goes by Rita. 
Oh, well, she she pretentiously introduces herself as Rita. She's trying to be something she's not. Is yeah. that the whole? Yeah. Michael Williams plays Brian, a gentleman who <laughs> may be having an affair. <laughs> but sure likes talking on the telephone. Janan Crowley is playing Julia, who is Frank's girlfriend, Michael yeah. Caine's girlfriend, who may be having an affair. Um, Malcolm Douglas as Denny, Rita's husband, who kind of reminded me of Daniel Day-Lewis a little bit. Huh. Uh, Godfrey Quigley as Rita's father. Yes. Uh, Maureen Lip And last but not least, this is the last name I'll mention, Maureen Lipman in a brief role, brief but memorable role, I would, I would argue, as Trish, Rita's flatmate later yeah. in the film. Yes. Yeah, very interesting character. Little role. Yeah, this now this is a movie I think neither of us knew anything about. No, this is educated Rita. I assumed, like you said, yeah, made the unfortunate connection because of Alfie, which is a great movie. But, but also, but, when you think of like these kind of this struck me the name educating Rita struck me as this Oscar movie, and it's about a teacher and a student, and then. A, the, you know that they start to like each other and there's some love affair that blossoms and maybe it can happen it can happen but then eventually they get together and it's all uh, torrid and then they break up and then they have a thing and then they go off together and you feel a little icky yeah even if you like it you feel a little icky yeah and thankfully that's not what this is no. this is not romantic this is about a friendship this is about a very strong friendship between an educator mm-hmm. and someone who wants to learn now, along those lines, I think this movie consciously tries to swerve us because there are things that happen that, that continued to support my view that they were going to get together at some point. Mm-hmm. The big ones were that, um, so we learn early on that, that Julia is having an affair with Brian. Now, Julia is uh, Frank's girlfriend, yes, Michael Caine. She's a tutor at the school. She's kind of his, his casual girlfriend or whatever. Should we say what the movie's about real quick before yeah, we get sure, into this? Sure. Hang on to that. Yeah. But this movie is basically about uh, a, a teacher, an alcoholic teacher, played yeah. by Michael Caine. He's very dis, kind of dissatisfied, coasting University through life. professor. He's, very, he's definitely tenured, is yes. what I'll say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he meets this young, bubbly woman named Rita. She goes by Rita. Who's a, you know, a young 20-something housewife who's not your typical, like, very lower class and not the sort of person you expect to be at a university. She wants to better herself. Absolutely. Um, and so the whole, the movie is basically, uh, he is, he becomes her tutor. Yeah. And she kind of goes from there. She goes through life on his advice. Um, there's ups and downs. And we'll get into the nitty gritty of this, but that's basically the plot. And no romance. This is just about a, a friendship. Anyway, continue what you were saying. So yeah, uh, so, uh, so the, the the clues that you thought yeah, so what what was kind of leading to me so yeah, so Julia we see early on is having an affair with Brian and we know that that is going to go somewhere so that opens the door for Michael Caine to be free of any entanglement and then we see that that um, uh, Susan is married to Denny and uh, you know they're they're a new relatively new couple but they you know haven't had a child yet and she's being pressured by Denny to have a baby. And she's been lying about being on birth control. And at a certain point, they end up splitting up because Denny can't take the fact that she wants to go to school over the fact that he wants a baby. Mm-hmm. And so then that frees her from romantic entanglement. I can see where you make that connection. Those two specific things are like, okay, so they're clearly setting up the fact that now they don't have anything tying them on, down and we can't feel bad if something if they happen to you know, get together. It was made very clear very early that she was 26 years old, mm-hmm. which is, you know... It's not super old and, and way younger than Michael Caine's character, but also not a child. Yeah. 
And again, th- just those combination of factors led me to believe that, okay, this is where this is, has to go. Well, and I was kind of astonished to learn that in the play, they don't even get together either. Because mm-hmm. this is based on a stage play yeah. uh, written by Willie Russell, who also wrote the film. Um, and, and in the play, he basically, he had a really hard time ending it. And he had a really hard time writing Frank's character because he, um, he, he said that he sent his first draft to his agent. And when she said, when, when, when she read the script, she said, okay, Rita, she's marvelous. She's marvelous, dear. But Frank, he just doesn't fucking exist. Like, it does, it's not a character. So he had to go back and keep writing. And, uh, and his agent actually never ended up liking it, by the way. She always referred to it as your little play, like <laughs> in a very offhand way. Um, but basically, the actor he had playing Frank just came up to him one day and said, listen, this, this play is great. Like, you had your take on the nature of education and all that stuff. But what the audience is really going to want to know is, do Rita and I end up? together at the end like ultimately no matter what happens in the movie it's always going to be on their minds and he's like so you you kind of have to answer that in some way and we'll talk about he rewrote the he wrote the ending um he rewrote the ending because they didn't even address that in the original uh script play script for the play um so he, he yeah he rewrote that to answer that question um but yeah so it's based on the stage play julie walters also played this role in the play which makes a lot of sense because she seems very comfortable in the part. Mm. And number one, I knew Michael Caine was going to be great in this, but holy fuck, she steals this movie. Yeah, she does, really does. Julie Walters is like the new Julie Christie for me right now because <laughs> she is fantastic in this movie. She owns it. She just embodies that character, and we see a real progression of that character yeah. over the course of the movie. Another thing I was worried about was that trope of like the manic pixie fairy dream girl yeah. or whatever. And... As it started, I'm like, oh, is this whole movie going to be about how this girl makes Michael Caine a better person? Yeah, exactly. But it's not. No, not at all. You get to see both lives. Well, we, we get to see one life kind of on the upswing, and we watch the other life on the downslide. Right. And they're kind of crossing paths. Right. And, and I mean, it has a fantastic introduction, like... The music, obviously, is very very uh, silly. And this music is weird. It's like, this is the second mo- movie in a row that we've had a synth track on. Yeah. And this I, one is, like, a weird, happy take on, like, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I mean, that's what this movie basically is. Yeah. Oh, from stem to stern. <laughs> um, but I think it is, like, an, a fun way to kind of get into the movie. And, and it's just the, the cinematography in the opening is really good. Like, you see it. You see all the characters. You kind of see where it's going. You see how Michael Caine has, like, his stash of alcohol. Yeah. Behind the book, Lost Weekend, which is a great touch. <laughs> Wonderful choice. Yeah. I also love how his room looks. I love the green walls. I don't know what it is about green walls, but I love a green wall. Yeah. Oh, and and <laughs> the, the the design of this movie is really fun. I, mm. I, I, I agree. And, I, you know, having watched this, even though, like, there's a lot of dialogue in this movie, there's a lot of two-person scenes, I never would have guessed that it was from a stage play. Mm. There's enough stuff yes that it doesn't strike me as that like the campus they're on is very beautiful they have yeah. some shots elsewhere in the movie when this they is, go different places and you, the, there's a little bit of visual stuff going this on. is not that salesman movie with uh kevin spacey and danny devito oh the big kahuna yeah oh, that's a fantastic movie but yeah that movie's all in one hotel room the entire film which is clearly based on a play oh it is yeah. but that one's a lot more obvious than yeah. it is um and I want to mention like the 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 hiding the alcohol behind the book and stuff because I do want to com- kind of comment on that for a little bit. 
he's an alcoholic, yes. Michael Caine's character, but it's treated in a very serious way. Yeah. It's not handled like, you know, you, you know, have these movies in the 80s and even like the 60s, this 70s. This isn't Arthur. Yeah, this <laughs> is not like a... And Arthur would have been like close to this, yeah. like within a year or two. Um, he's not this fun drunk. I mean, he kind of... It's kind of funny. He has yeah. moments, but it's handled in a very serious way. Very realistic way. In that. Yeah. yeah. He's not having fun, in, and, and we see him kind of get worse and worse as the movie goes on. It's treated as a serious subject rather than like a plot device. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not, not really ever played for humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even when he trips and falls, it is a brutal scene. This is later on in the movie. He's giving a long lecture, and he's drunk, and he stumbles, and he falls into a desk. And I don't know if... That was a stuntman, or Michael Caine did that. But whoever did that, it looked like they took that desk full on in the face. Whether they did or yeah. not, it looked like they did. And so much so that I thought in that scene they were going to have a thing where he went to the hospital. Yeah, it looked like he fucking hurt himself going down on that thing. For sure. But yeah, no, I just think that that's one aspect of the movie that I was really impressed by. That it kind of handled it in a very... Just a very good way. Yeah, well, like I say, like a, a, a grounded way that didn't, you know, it didn't pull any punches. Yeah. And this movie, okay, I gotta say, this movie is like, you know, you have comedies where you're like, it, it, it gets a little heavy-handed, and you have dramas where it's kind of the comedy seems unnecessary. This, to me, is like the perfect blend of comedy and drama. Yeah. This just is like seamless to me. It's kind of slice of life a little bit. Just in it that is too, it is yeah. a mix of, you know, because that's what life is, is a mix of funny times and sad times. And, and yeah, this movie gets it all. It, it's just like, it, it, there's darks, there's a few dark moments. There's definitely some levity throughout um, and it's just like the characters are just so well written and maybe that's the stage play aspect of mm-hmm. this because um, I don't know I feel like I feel like the, you know there's a lot more character that goes into the, to a play yeah because that's what you're focused on you don't you can't rely on visual storytelling as much uh, in a play uh, you need those strong characters but let's 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 listen to the first clip here um, I just want to play Rita's introduction into the movie where she meets uh, meets Frank Michael Caine because her introduction, it just tells you everything you need to know about her. Come in. For God's sake, come in. I'm coming in, aren't I? It's that stupid bleeding handle on the door. You want to get it fixed? Uh, yes, yes, I, I, I meant to. Well, that's no good, is it? Always meaning to. You want to get on with it because one of these days you'll be shouting, come in, and it'll go on forever because the poor sod on the other side won't be able to get in and you won't be able to get out. And you are? I'm a what? Huh? What? And you are? What is your name? Me first name? Well, that would at least constitute some sort of start, wouldn't it? Rita. Rita. Uh, here we are. Rita. It says here, Mrs. S. White. Oh, yes, that's S for Susan. That's just my real name. But I'm not a Susan anymore. I changed my name to Rita. Uh, you know, after Rita Mae Brown. Uh, Rita Mae Brown, who wrote Ruby Fruit Jungle. Uh, haven't, haven't you read it? Uh, it's a fantastic book, you know. Do you want to lend it? Uh, yes. <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you very much. Okay. And uh, what do they call you around here? Sir. But you may call me Frank. Okay. Frank. That's a nice picture, isn't it, Frank? 
Uh, yes, I suppose it is. It's very erotic. Actually, I don't think I've looked at that picture in ten years, but, uh, yes, it is, I suppose so. Well, there's no suppose about it. Look at those tits. Do you mind me using words like that? Like what? Tits. Uh, no. No, you wouldn't. It's only the masses who don't understand. It's not their fault, but sometimes I hate them. I do to shock them sometimes. You know, like when I'm in the hairdressers where I work, I'll say something like, um, oh, I'm really fucked, dead loud, and it doesn't half cause a fuss. <laughs> yeah, but with educated people, they don't worry, do they? It's the aristocracy that swears more than anyone. It's all past me the fucking pheasant with them. <laughs> but you couldn't tell them that round our way. Aren't you supposed to be interviewing me? Do I need to? Oh, I talk too much, don't I? I love that. It's, it shows her right away. She's charming. She comes in. She takes control of the room. Yeah, she's a forceful character. She's a force of nature. She mm -hmm. really is. And um, and then she also realizes at the same time, she's like, oh, she's very self-aware. She's like, oh, I talk too much. Like, <laughs> and so she's a very well-rounded character because she starts out, like you said, she's basically living with this guy, Danny. He's, it's her husband. Um, and he wants a very traditional marriage. Mm. Uh, you know, Wife and hu husband and wife go to church every Sunday, have the kids, and that's not really her thing. Despite the fact that it seems that every male in her life is pushing her toward that. Yeah. That that's what is expected of her, but she wants to make something of herself, and she has this hunger to go to school and learn. And she has no desire to get away from Denny, um, to necessarily leave him, but she just wants to kind of get out there. Yeah, she just wants her, his support, but she doesn't, she clearly doesn't feel like she can totally expect it because she continues to take birth control mm. secretively, mm -hmm. uh, even though she told her husband that she had stopped taking it. And uh, at one point after they knock out a wall in their house, they, uh, Denny is looking to fix a wire and he finds it and confronts her and then grabs all her books and burns them on the fire, which is a real fucking dick move. It was, it's an intense scene, um, but you really feel like, I, I feel like it's I'm not justifying it, but I'm saying like it's it it makes sense in the course of the, in the context of the movie because like I said, you have this guy who assumes that they've been trying to make a baby the last four months, you know, um, and then you have you know her and she wants to go and do something else at the same time, and for him to come to this realization that the last whatever three four months nothing the re that's the reason why they haven't been able to have a baby it's just like this boiling point moment for him right mm. it's just a sudden moment of realization like oh well fuck mm. <laughs> and i do like how he makes the comment too about how, when she says uh, i mean i think we'll listen to them together too because i think they're it's fun but when she says something about like how his uh his stuff not working and he says oh no 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 people in my family just look at a woman and get them pregnant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why don't we listen to their interplay a little bit? Because yeah. I do want to talk about that relationship, too. Eddie? What the freak is going on? I thought we could make these two rooms into one through lounge. Improve the house. There's only one way you could improve this house. By bombing it. It looked great, this, when I finished. Once I got the plaster up, you won't recognize it. Denny, come to the theatre with me. What? What for? Look, if we went to the theatre, we could see the play and it would help me do my essay. I've told you, Susan, I don't like you doing this, right? Now just leave me out of it. Where are you going? Upstairs with Pia Gint. 
With who? It's a bulky brat. <laughs> I thought we were going down the beer keller tonight. What for? Do you know, they've got eight, eight different kinds of beer to choose from. Now, who'd have thought they'd have built paradise at the end of our street? Oh, so they, they kind of have a, some fun interplay, but what I really like in that scene is that you kind of notice that, as far as I'm concerned, and maybe this is a hot take, but I think Rita and Frank have a very similar delivery. It's a very similar style of humor, just delivered differently. Because mm. I think she's very sarcastic. And yes. so is he, but in a very dry, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> dry, alcoholic kind of yeah. way. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, so they, you could tell, like, just from how they interact, that they, they don't make a good couple. Mm. Like, they don't make a good, uh, like, married couple. Mm. But then later on in the movie, so they, obviously, he leaves her, like you said. Yeah. When they meet up later and he's with another woman, they just seem like good buddies. Yeah. They, they have good friend chemistry. Exactly, yeah. And, and that she is uh, not... She doesn't seem too broken up. Like, like a lot of times you would see that sort of thing in the movie and then the woman would turn around and walk away and like try not to cry and like go somewhere and like pull themselves together. She's not having that reaction. But not she's at just all. kind of like, it's, it, I, I think it does make her think a little bit when she sees him. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I just thought it was funny that the, their interactions were a lot more friendly and livelier when they weren't together. Yeah. They didn't have to like deal with that almost. Mm. <laughs> so there's no pressure at that point. Exactly. Um, this movie comments a lot on education in general and the educational system and how superficial it can be. And Frank is very cynical about it. He's very (laughs) cynical so much to the point where, when he's, you know, he's tutoring Rita and she kind of gets to that point where she's sort of in his mind anyway, becoming one of them, Hmm. becoming one of the students that he constantly makes fun of. Um, he starts to resent her. Yeah. Well, and, and you can see that early on, Frank, we see Frank in class, and uh, there's a student that uh, is super into Blake, and the interaction that he has with that student clearly demonstrates what he thinks of, like, the traditional student, and he has no time for the guy, Yeah, and, and the guy gets mad and leaves the room, because he didn't get to learn about Blake. I came here to learn about literature, and yeah. Michael Caine literally says, it's beautiful outside, go outside, who cares about literature? Yeah. <laughs> He's, 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 it's sort of along the lines of like Robin Williams in uh, a dead poet society, but without the actual like energy to do it. <laughs> yeah. Without the, it's, it's like, a very, we're not going to have class outside so much as why don't you just go outside and, and take advantage of life and I'll sit here and drink. It's dead poet society with a very British flavor. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. Yes. Of course. Edu- down with education. Yeah, Get yes. out of my face. Yeah, of course. <laughs> mm. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a takedown of yeah. education a little bit and the whole system because, and we, and we learned this whole thing. Well, I mean, this, this movie, would you argue is like about people pretending to be something they're not? In yeah. A way? Yeah. That's a big part of it. I mean, cause that's what Rita is kind of trying to do in, in the course of wanting to be an academic and wanting to get into this academic world. And we see this kind of laid bare in the scene where she writes a, an essay for, Frank and Frank reads it and he's like this is beautiful this is wonderful this is great but as far as it as it comes to like passing an examination this is worthless mm-hmm. and of course she's like well so it's worthless then and he's like no like you're not getting me he's he basically is trying to tell her that you you have such a unique wonderful voice that if I teach you how to write like an academic if I teach you how to like conform to what this is you're gonna you may very well lose that thing that makes you unique 
and and he kind of is is of the idea. He's like, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't want to know that your voice is going to go away just because you want to do this. But she is bound and determined that this is what she wants to do. Yeah, because she wants to be that academic. She yeah. wants to be. She kind of wants to be stripped of her personality. In a way, in a way, um, because she, I think she feels some embarrassment of it, maybe because she is of a lower class, well, origin. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, this all leads. This is I have to play this because it's my yeah. favorite scene in the movie. But this all leads to there's a later scene where Michael Caine basically invites her to come to, to a dinner party yes. with him, his girlfriend, and a bunch of other people, a bunch of other mucky mucks. Yeah, and she shows up. She was supposed to go to the bar with Denny, and she shows up. She kind of glances inside and sees everyone all fancy and everything and gets very self-conscious, leaves a note on his car, and leaves. And a nice detail is that when she leaves the note, you notice it starts to rain. Hmm. Um, But I do want to play the scene the the next day because Michael Caine kind of asks her why she didn't come to the party, to the dinner. Yeah. And uh, this scene happens. I'm all right with you here in this room. But when I saw those people you were with, I couldn't come in. I'd have seized up, because I'm a freak. I can't talk to the people I live with anymore. I can't talk to the likes of them at your house, because I'm a half-cast. I decided I wasn't coming here again. I went to the pub. They were all singing, all of them. Denny, looking happy, just got a few days holiday from work. Me mother. Not really on top form, something was worrying her. Probably me dad. They were never really loves young dream. Our oh, Sandra, in love. Her fiancé, about the same. And her mates, all of them singing, oh, some song they learned from the jukebox. And I thought, just what the frig am I trying to do? Why don't I just pack it in, stay here, and join in with the singing? And why didn't you? You think I can, don't you? You think because you pass a pub doorway and hear them all singing, you think we're all okay? That we're all surviving with the spirit intact? I did join in the singing, but when I turned around, my mother had stopped singing. And she was crying. I said, why are you crying, mother? She said, there must be better songs to sing than this. And I thought, yeah. That's what I'm trying to do, isn't it? Sing a better song. Well, that's why I've come back. And that's why I'm staying. So let's start work. It's like the thesis statement of, of, of her character in this movie. She wants to sing a better song. Yeah, no, it's it's tragic because yeah. she's kind of stuck in this life. And 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 the saddest thing is that her mother is kind of a glimpse into the future for yeah. her. Because she knows her mother doesn't really love her dad. Yeah. She just kind of settled. And and she doesn't want to end up in that situation. Mm-hmm. So and, and for her mother, as far as you know, Rita's concerned, it's too late. Yeah. Like, there's nothing she can really do at this point. She's kind of stuck there. It's depressing. It is a bit depressing, yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, but, and, and yeah, like you said, it is kind of the mission statement or the the um, the summary of her character. Yeah. Oh. And by the way, we I, I have to ask you, has there been a, has there been a stronger on-screen debut than Julie Walters? Because 
I can't think of one. I don't know in our in our travels here, but damn, yeah, that's one of the greats. This is a, a, a pretty blistering performance right out of the bag. It, there's so much going on, and it's it's one that like I like I just can't I can't even imagine people having never seen this person hmm. unless they you know they went to the actual plays. Um, just suddenly seeing this actress just explode on screen. Which, again, another thing surprises me is that she doesn't really do anything else, like, huge for almost 20 years. Hmm. Um, she's in movies, but nothing like nothing big like this. Um, I say big like this from yeah. two people who never heard of it, yeah. but, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, got, it was a very acclaimed role. Yes. Um, but, yeah, she, and, and, of course, we talked about Julie Walters. We talked about her uh, totally about to kill Hugh Grant yes. and Paddington, too. Yeah, she almost blew his fucking head off. <laughs> Badass. Um, Julie Walters did uh, talk a little bit about the play, um, where she said she was terrified. And she said she she was really shocked when she said her first lines and people laughed. Yeah. Like, she, in her mind, she's like, this can't be a comedy. There's no way this is a comedy. So, but but she's almost, it's like she's going through the same thing that, uh, uh, that, that, that Susan herself is going through. Like, when she goes into that class and sits down and she says something and everybody laughs, she's like, what? That wasn't supposed to be funny. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like she feels like she's out of her element. Yeah. Um, well, and she said that she received a review of one of her first performance that from this guy named Michael Billington, and he said it was a peach of a performance. <laughs> and she said, I've never had a review like that from him since. <laughs> so, um, when she said she did the film, she said she tried to make Rita a little rougher around the edges um, and tone the performance down. So obviously, you know, it's going from big stage play acting yeah. to, to film acting. Um, and she said she never do, she never done a feature before. Um, only a bit of telly, she said, <laughs> and they needed a star. So Lewis Gilbert was pressured to hire before Julie Walters came into the picture. Check this out. Lewis Gilbert was almost pressured to cast this movie with Paul Newman and Dolly Parton. Hmm. I mean, that's a totally different movie. That That's a movie where they get together at the end. I that think. has to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dolly Parton, I mean, let's think now, 1984, right? I mean, she must have been almost already well, 40 at that point. Thinking of Dolly Parton maybe around this time and thinking of, of uh, Susan, it's like when you think of Susan at the beginning of the movie, Dolly Parton's basically a kind of a cartoon character version of Susan. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, no no shade to Dolly no, Parton. No, I love but, Dolly. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't think this would have worked. Yeah, and, and Dolly's great. Dolly's been in movies. I mean, you know, 9 to 5 and shit, but mm. uh, I, I don't know. Best, Rhinestone. We all love Rhinestone. Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, I think she was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Burt. Uh, but then, of course, then when Michael Caine came on board as Frank, and of course that role got recast from the play, unfortunately. But when he came in as Frank, uh, she was brought in. And uh, Lewis Gilbert had to fight for her. He really had to fight to get Julie Walters in the movie because they wanted a star, goddammit. You think Michael Caine could carry this? Michael Caine, I, I, believe, I believe Michael Caine fought for her as well. Oh, good. Um, but yeah, it was a struggle to get her in the movie. She almost didn't. Be, she almost wasn't in this movie. Uh, she said that. Um, she said women have moved on since it was written. Uh, today they know they have choices, but that was only dawning on people like Rita back then. But mm. there's still work to be done. She yeah. says the basic premise that education means choice still matters today, the world over, and not just for women, but for all of us. And we see that in her transition throughout the movie. She starts off when we first see her. She's got bleach blonde hair, 
cut in a very like kind of wifey kind of haircut. She's wearing very traditional wifey clothes, you know. And it gets darkened throughout the movie, doesn't it? Yeah, it, I think she either lets it go back to its natural color or just dies a different. I think she does die a different color at some point, but eventually it's going back to its natural color. Mm-hmm. As over the course of the movie, we see her dress change. She yes. um, by the end of the movie, she's wearing much more modern kind of like. I don't want to say feminist clothes, but like more modern 80s. Stereoty- like, stereotypical feminine yeah, clothes. more feminine clothes. Yeah. Or not feminine, but like feminine. Like less traditional. And she even speaks a little bit differently. She still has that lower class accent, but it's softened a bit by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, and her understanding comes through much clearer. Like we get the sense that she has learned a lot in the time that we, since we have seen her first, and that comes through in the performance. What I thought was the nicest little cute, uh, clue to that is her changeover is because when frank's done you know the tutoring is over and mm. she's going to summer school basically right yeah uh he she we've seen her smoking yeah. we've seen them smoking together we've seen her offer him cigarettes yeah. and then when she comes back the first little clue i thought was him saying i bought you this carton of cigarettes he got her an she, entire carton of rothman cigarettes which yeah. i'm sure at that time cost a dollar fifty and she says no i've kicked it yeah, I, I'm not. I don't smoke anymore. And that I, that may seem like an inconsequential thing, but I think in this movie they want you to know that that's just the first little yeah. sign that something's that's a, different. That's, that's the harbinger of the change that is coming in her. But then Jason, I have to talk about another scene that I love in this movie is when she meets her flatmate. Yes, because she comes back into town. Rita has gone through the tutoring. She goes over to learn. She comes back. And she has to move in with a flatmate, and this character just owns the screen time that she's on, <laughs> that she's in. She's wonderful. Absolutely. Uh, let's just play the scene of her of Rita meeting her new flatmate. I've come about the advert, you know, for sharing the flat. <sighs> Wouldn't you just die without Marla? Oh, what am I doing? Come in, come in. Uh, you're just through there. We're up the stairs, sort of next and evening. I'm a hairdresser. Oh dear, not by choice. Oh, I suppose so. What are you doing? Oh, dying a bit of this, a bit of that. I'm running a bistro for a friend at the moment. Fascinating people who love it. What did you say your name was? Well, I've uh... Oh, Marla! Wouldn't you just die without him? I love it, and like that person does not exist in the world. So when you first see that scene, you're like, "Oh, this is a little over the top. Like this is obviously a little silly." But then the real gut punch is later. Yeah, this character tries to take her own life in a very dark turn. That's out of nowhere. Well, I mean, <laughs> a very dark turn. I don't. I mean, kind of out of nowhere. But you kind of understand why they take this turn because this is Rita, real kind of real coming to the realization that. She sees this girl and she seems very excited and happy and everything. But eccentric, she, but together. Yeah, and she says like, "Oh, oh, so these people can be just as phony as anyone else." Yeah. Um, she's not a happy person, mm-hmm. obviously. She has a very 
there's a scene later in a hospital that is so tough um, where Rita is just saying, you know, um, she asks her, like, you know, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. And she says, no, I've failed. Yeah. I failed because I couldn't do it. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. Yeah. Oh, Jason, we got to talk about Brian. Yeah, fucking Brian. <laughs> we got to talk about Brian, who, by the way, when I said, thought his name was Brian, I could only just, I started looking at him as Brian Doyle Murray from that yeah. point on. <laughs> just a little, like, frumpy guy. Um, so he, is he a colleague of, of Frank's or? I believe so. Or boss or something or? I think he's, like, kind of, I think he's above him yeah. a little bit. Um, he's not the, the bursar. No, bursar's a different bursar, guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I mean, he's not as high up as the yeah. bursar. The bursar is the guy who, of course, uh, is Michael Caine's boss, who he offers a drink uh, while in the middle of the field, and yes. then the bursar tells him to go to bed, so he drops to the field and yeah, falls asleep. asleep. Which, again, sounds like a, a funny scene, but it's pretty sad. Yeah, exactly. It's not played <laughs> for comedy at all. No. Um, but yeah, Brian, so, so Michael Caine, obviously, him and his girlfriend have a very strained relationship. And anytime Brian is caught, or they're almost caught, uh, having their affair, he quickly grabs the phone and pretends to be on a call with his publisher. Yeah. And I do want to play one of those scenes um, because Michael Caine throws in a comment at the end that made me laugh a lot. Brian! I'm going to leave Elaine. Now, Brian, I don't think you should do anything. You must leave Frank. No. No, he needs me. Needs you? My God, most of the time he can't even see you. That's not true. He does need me. He responds to me. Is that why he's always four parts pissed? Recently, he's hardly been drinking. I know it's taking me a long time, but finally he's starting to respond to the sort of security I can offer him. Oh, Brian. Oh, Julia. Leslie, you promised me an essay by tomorrow. Don't be so bloody crass, Morgan. Julia? Yes, yes, I know that, but... Have you got the text to pig in? I think so. No, I'm not presenting you with an ultimatum, Morgan. I quite realize that you What's have it for? Designated... My open university student. But you must oh, yes. What's her name? Rita. That's right. Rita. Yeah. When are we yeah. going to meet this Rita you keep talking about? Oh, sometime, I suppose. Look, Morgan, our association now has lasted for some eight years. You must invite her to supper. Oh, uh, well, she uh... sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for the text. Yes, yes. Unless I hear from you by nine o'clock... Doesn't he possess a phone? Goodbye. Frank. Yeah? I think you ought to know that I uh, intend to leave my publisher. Yes, well, that would help with my phone bill considerably, Brian. Bye. Bye-bye, darling. Bye. Do you think he knows? He must, because the idea that his phone bill would have any bearing on it, he's not actually making any calls, so it shouldn't affect his phone bill. He's just picking up the phone and talking into the empty line. And then, of course, that's discovered later when uh, uh, a drunk uh, Frank tells him that uh, he didn't pay the phone bill, so it got cut off in the morning, and he just picks the phone up and tells the guy to fuck off that's not even there. Yeah, <laughs> and that's where um, you know his, his girlfriend finally leaves him. Yeah. Um, and then they just start making yeah. out right in front of him. Yeah, he's like he kind of he kind of plays it cool. He shakes a uh, 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 dude's hand yeah. and and like walks out, and then turns around and sees them making out, and then kind of gets sad and dejectedly walks away. Yeah, I, I do like that running bit though, where he always picks up. He's like Morgan, yeah, yes, always, my publisher, yes. <laughs> this guy's got to sound so important. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the part of this. That's like the the most comedic stuff in this yeah. movie. Like that's where it's really bringing in like the comedy stuff. 
But yeah, so... And then the movie ends with that, I think with the great ending, yeah. is where Frank is basically told, you have to go away for a while. Yeah. Like, you need to go take vacation. You're showing up, you're, deli- you're doing your lectures drunk, which is getting worse because of his resentment of Rita. Yeah. And can we point out, too, that this is the, the, t- the tenure white man professor's privilege, that he goes, he gets <laughs> hammered drunk, makes a fool of himself in class, and smashes his face off a table. So they haul him into, like, an academic, like... You know, like court, essentially. Yeah. To kind of appraise what's happened. And they basically shake their finger at him and go, now don't you do this again or there will be strict consequences. They take their they take their orders from the cops in Genevieve. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is the world that they live in. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he basically is like he's going to Australia. Yeah. And you have this scene in the end where... Treating him like he's a pedophile priest and just transferring him. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's well. He's going there for vacation. I think. I don't think he's. Well, he's he's going to work because he, oh, it's, he? it's okay. a two year transfer to work there. But he goes there, and we're not sure if Rita's going to go with him. He asks her he if she wants her. to go, but she she's but she's him. clearly non-committal about it. And it's interesting. Like, well, let's talk about the scene a little bit because I like how I said it as if we're not going to talk about the scene. <laughs> um, do you think when he's asking her to? go with him to Australia. Is that a romantic thing at that point? I think point? that's a last ditch. Like, I like this girl. I like being around her. Yeah. I would love her to come with me. Do you think he's just looking for companionship? I think so, yeah. Because Julie's gone now, and he's kind of lonely, and obviously he has trouble with the bottle, so that's another issue that he could probably have someone else to lean on about, you know. I do like how she goes into his office as he's leaving and says, you, you could collect a fortune from all these empties you have. Yeah. This is after they've had a blowout. I don't think we mentioned the blowout that they had. They, no. She shows up and Frank is hammered drunk and he basically is super mean to her. And she's like, fuck you, and takes off. And then comes back later to see him before he leaves. Well, I mean, actually, you know what? Let's play that because mm. that's a big scene um, with Rita. Basically, um, Rita gets a hold of the How does this happen? Oh, right, because Frank goes to where Rita works and yes. gives her his poetry yeah. and says, why don't you ana- analyze me? Because yeah. he's just he's drunk and he's upset. Drunk and he's got an ego. <laughs> yeah, and, and she can't, but like, but like also self-loathing. Yeah, self-loathing because he hates this poetry that he wrote. Mm-hmm. But then, so then Rita does read it and come over to, and comes over to see him to tell him what she thought. Yeah. Then yes. Good, because I want you to hear this when you're sober. This is brilliant. You have got to start writing again, Frank. It is brilliant. It's it, it it's witty. It's profound. Full of style. Oh, tell me again and again. No, it is Frank. It's not just me that thinks so. Me and Trish sat up and read them last night, and she agrees with me. Why did you stop? Why did you stop writing when you can produce work like that? Now, what did Trish say? Yes, it's more resonant than purely contemporary poetry. It has, like it has in it, a direct line through to the 19th century traditions of, um, of like, wit and classical illusion. Oh, that's uh, marvellous, Rita. It's fortunate that I never gave this to you earlier. Just think, if you'd have seen this when you first came here. Oh, well, I would never have understood it. No? You would have thrown it across the room and dismissed it as total shit, wouldn't you? I know. But, I mean, I could never have understood it then because I wouldn't have been able to, you know, recognise or understand the illusions. I've done a fine job on you, haven't I? It's true, Frank. I mean, I can see it now. You know, Rita, like you, I am going to change my name. 
From now on, I am going to insist on being called Mary. Mary Shelley. Do you understand that illusion, Rita? What? Mary Shelley wrote a little Gothic number called Frankenstein. So? This clever pyrotechnical pile of self-conscious illusion is worthless, talentless shit. There is more poetry in the telephone directory and probably more insight. However, this has one advantage over the telephone directory. It is easier to rip. And that's kind of the scene where they've emotionally switched spots from the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. where now he's the vulnerable like uh, one that is, is having his own crisis, and she's the one that's projecting the confidence that, that uh, you know, she's very confident about it. Like, she's like, no, this is good. Yeah. And he just can't accept that. He just can't take the compliment. He can't accept the fact that he has uh, good writing and he's is drunk and self-loathing. And, and I think a part of him, too, is mad that she is able to criticize it yeah. properly. Because, yeah. again, he's resenting the fact that she is kind of in the, in the same... Uh, In the same way as like the university students, yeah. Because we saw at the beginning, he didn't care for them. No, exactly. So I think I think he's also mad about that. Um, but and, and it's interesting too because early on we talked about how uh, Rita is very upfront. She's like, "Listen, I don't want you to beat around the bush. I need you to tell me whether I'm good or whether yeah. I'm bad." And because she says like, you know, that's right after Denny leaves her because she's and the first thing she says to him before they even talk about they're barely talking about what happened to her. He's very, you know, upset. And she's like, okay, fine, whatever. How was my Hamlet or how was my Macbeth essay is what she says. And he says, this is hardly a time to talk about it. She's like, just let me know if I'm good or bad, because if I'm bad, I need to get better because this is what I'm doing now. And I need to be this person. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to be this person. And I imagine as a, as a woman, especially at that time, getting honest criticism out of somebody one way or the other was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Either, yeah, and, and, and again, like you said, she, she doesn't want to be the joke. Hmm. She knows, she's like, yeah, yeah, people say I'm funny, whatever. Like, I don't want that to be my def- definition. She, she doesn't want to just be some, like, female sideshow in the academic world. Yeah, this is like, oh, look at her. Yeah. She doesn't know what she's talking about, but oh, she's look, look, good look for how, a laugh. Oh, look how cute it is that a woman is, is interested in reading. Ha, 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 fellas. Yeah, and she, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want that, and that's why she demands, like, his real opinion. Yes. Um, and, and, and yeah, and it just, it's just interesting how that's turned from at the, at the end of the movie is she is giving her real opinion, yeah. but I don't, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if he wants, I don't, I don't know if he thinks, I don't know. It's confusing. I don't know if he thinks that she's just make, trying to make him happy or if he just can't, like you said, he just can't handle the fact of that he might've been a good poet. Yeah. There's a moment there near the end in that last scene in the office where they're talking and, and she says, I, look, I, I have something I want to give you that I haven't had the chance. And, of course, my dirty mind thought, oh, no, is she going to blow him? Well, she also takes <laughs> off her sweater. Yeah, she starts taking off her sweater. It's like, what is she? And then it's like she pulls out the scissors and she goes, you're getting a haircut. Because she had said early in the movie that she was a hairdresser and that she would give him a haircut at some point. And yep. it never came up. And she finally got rid of that bad 80s tuft on the back of his head. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that is that um, now I wonder. We talked about how this movie – you said you think this movie swerves you. and that this It, it movie, subverts my expectations. But, but you also said you feel like this movie knows that p- what people think yes. is going to happen and swerves them yes. intentionally. Now – 
let's let's add to that because this is Lewis Gilbert. Yeah. Alfie is a very famous movie. Do you think that only adds to it? Do you think people are like, oh, Lewis Gilbert, Michael Caine, they're going to think there's some sex stuff going yeah. on? Here. I mean, well, certainly that'll come into the into the idea. And even at the end of the movie, it takes place in an airport. We have people running down a hallway. It's like the most cliched setup of an ending. And then you and you think, yeah, for a second that they're going together, yeah, that she might actually go with him. And then, as soon as, uh, and then you have you even have a moment there, Jason, where I thought they were going to at least have a kiss. Yeah, but no, they just have a nice hug with each other. And I think he kisses her on the forehead. Does he? I didn't I even th- notice that. Maybe it's just a hug. Maybe it's just a hug. Either way, it's a very. It's not a romantic thing. It's no. clearly like a, a mentor mentee thing. And then he hugs her. He goes on the plane, and she turns and walks the other way. And I have a confession to make. Yeah. I cried. Aww. But she, but she, but she kind of she's walking. She stops for a sec. She turns around. She looks back and sees him walking, and then turns back and continues. That's yeah. what got me, yeah. man. And it just—I don't know what it is. It just hit me in a spot. Mm. And it just got me in a certain spot, and it just, I was like, God damn you, movie! There you go, tears, extra points for this movie. <laughs> There's only a few movies on this list, like a couple of movies on this list that have gotten me to that point. Mm-hmm. And this this one did me in. Oh man, English patient, I was on the verge the whole time. I don't I think there were different reasons. <laughs> um, but Jason, let's let's get into what everyone's here to listen to. What is it? Bits and bobs. Your bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. I'll see if I. You've got bits. I've got bobs. I've got bits, and you've got bobs. That's bits and bobs. We both got. We both got the bits and bobs. Bits and bobs. This is your theme song. That's my theme song. Thank you. Uh, that that synth sounds like like synth harpsichord, which is what made me think of um, Clockwork Orange. Obviously, Clockwork Orange is a little more synthy than this movie, even. But I don't know. It just feels like because it's like happy synthy versions of like classical music. Oh, I like the uh, I like the line where she says uh, about people smoking, all afraid of getting cancer, bloody cowards. <laughs> That's a good one. And, and and they really seem to like shitting on Howard's end. Yeah, which she makes a butt joke, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, she her character and accent reminds me a bit of Miss Brahms from Are uh, from Are You Being Served? Uh, she's got that lower class London, like just like ow, like Eliza Doolittle almost. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because she reminded me of a character we've actually talked about on this podcast before. Yeah. She reminded me of Happy Go Lucky. Yes. And Sally Hawkins. Absolutely. I would be surprised if she didn't pull anything from this role. Yeah. Because that's kind of similar, like drive and and personality and outgoingness. Yeah. And then they were in a movie together. They were in Paddington, both Paddington's together. (laughs) So, Um, oh, I do, I did want to mention too uh, during this Bits and Bob segment uh, the hairdresser bit. Where that woman goes in and says she wants to look like Princess Diana. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, funny. It's a pretty interesting analogy, though, because it, what do you get? A hairdresser, you get people that want to go in and become a totally different person yeah. in a very short short period of time. And you've only got so much you as a hairdresser can do. Yeah, but it, it's it's that idea of like I want to I want to be this different person, but I want to just do that now. Yeah. And it's like no, you that you got to work on yourself. Absolutely. And, that, and that's kind of another. It's a deeper change that she you know has to come from within inside, as she says. Yeah. From inside it feels like another theme, reoccurring theme in this movie. As always, I always laugh when I see Michael Caine playing somebody posh. Even though he does that plenty, it just because I always think of Michael Caine. Oh yeah, he was doing a posh. Actually. He's doing a little well posher than he than he uh, naturally speaks for sure. And this was a uh, uh, apparently this was all filmed in Ireland. Oh well, it was very green. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the little joke where she goes, "Can I smoke?" And he goes, "Tobacco." 
And she's like, what? is that a joke? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, oh, a joke. Congratulations. Oh, that's funny. How about the runner about the word assonance? Yeah, that's a weird fun bit. Um, because what it Kane says. You got says, the rhyme wrong. Yeah, well, okay, well, the definition of assonance is, oh, what is it again? It's like. It was, it was like rhyming in a weird way, like where you rhyme. You said the poet that rhymed swan with stone. Yeah, and it kind of sounds yeah, like it's it similar. Works, it's like swan, stone. And then swan. Rita kind of breaks it down simply as like, so you got the rhyme wrong. Yeah. And he's like. He thinks that's really funny. And then he tells that to, who does he tell that to, Brian? He think he tells that to Brian, and then he tells it to his students when he's drunk in class. Yeah, he tells that, but he tells that to Brian, and Brian's just like, what? That's yeah. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, another moment. That's another moment, Jason, in the movie where I thought, oh, they are going to hook up. Yeah, exactly. That was one of, yeah. those, one of those threads. Um, at one point, they go into, he, he goes to see Julie, and of course, Brian's there on the phone, and they're in this living room that was a very next generation fucking beige. <laughs> like, it looked like the hallways of the Enterprise, it was that kind of beige. So I guess that was a popular color in the 80s, was that boring beige color. Mm-hmm. Which room is this again? Oh, he just, he goes to see Julie the first time, and they go into this house, oh. and it's all very beige. Yep. I wonder if that was like reflective of like where that relationship was at. That that wasn't a very colorful room. But that's pro- <laughs> I mean that's probably a good in- that's probably a good uh, a- analogy. Oh, and I, I we didn't mention this, but I do I love this bit. I don't know if it's true or I wonder if this is one of those like Joker stories from Dark Knight, but where he talks about how his wife left him and, and why she left him. That that he had been she really liked his poetry, but she noticed that all his poetry was written about the about the period of time around when they met and got together. And so she decided that she would divorce him so that he would have something new to write about. And she was right. Well, I think he's saying that in a, I don't know, because I feel like his delivery is sort of <laughs> yeah, there, there's a little sarcastic. Bit of, yeah, sarca- sarcasm there. But I feel like it's also a, a thing where, like, it's like I was writing poetry. She realized it was about how miserable I was. And then, like, once she understood what I was writing, yeah. she was like, I don't want to be with this guy. Yeah, or, or that maybe I'm the cause of this misery, so I should get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, 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 yeah, and then and so the, the, you may be right, but that's not how I remember it. But that, maybe that's the insight into it. She's, she's like, that didn't really happen. And he's like, you may be right, but that's how I remember it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's a lie he's told himself. They don't make him look like a million bucks either. No. Um, I do like how, I think this is when Rita says... She's reading a book called Of Human Bondage. And someone says, oh, my husband's got books like that too. And she's like, oh. And she's like, yeah, bondage books. And she goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this PG, PG, PG movie, mm. because PG-13 is not a thing yet in 1984, yeah. gets away with three F-bombs. Three? Wow. Three. Well, it's British, so it's, it, it means less. I mean... <laughs> you, uh, oh, so we, we mentioned this earlier, but we forgot the punchline. So when, when um, Denny says, uh, well, yeah, my family, we all could just look at a woman and get them pregnant. Uh, oh, yeah. Susan responds by saying, well, it must be because you're all cockeyed. Yeah, yeah, that's a great <laughs> bit. Funny. Love She's, you know what, oh, fuck, man. You know what else she kind of reminds me of? If she turned out to be a mother, I wonder if she'd become like uh, the mother in Life is Sweet. Yeah, exactly. She'd have that kind of, yeah. Like vaudevillian kind of joke style. Just constantly running with jokes. Yeah. yeah. She Oh, she does that fun little goose step. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> funny. That's, that's a bit where, you know, Frank was uh, being very, like, authoritarian. Yes. And she just does the little, like, fingers to the mouth and hand up and walked away. Yeah, <laughs> the little yeah. goose step. It was great. Uh I love her. I love her answer to the essay that he gives her. It's like, how would you 
um, address the challenges of adapting this. Basically, the, there's I don't know anything about the work. The Ibsen's uh, Pure Ghent. Yeah, yeah, I don't Peter know anything Gint. about it, but allegedly it's not supposed to be staged in yeah. the uh, usual way. But apparently, yeah, it's very difficult to stage as a play. It's like, how would you adapt it? How would you address the challenges? And she said, I would do it as a radio play. Yeah, do it on the radio. That was her. That's her. That's her answer to the essay. Which, which does absolutely, as she points out, that completely encapsulates her entire like argument that she could write out, but she did it in like five or six words. And then she redoes it in like twenty words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see here. Well, when she bails on that party, like I, I really resonated with that scene because I've had that uh, thing in life before where you're going into some situation and you feel like you're not like worthy enough to be there or or that you're somehow an imposter in this situation. It's that old imposter syndrome. I've done an Irish exit or two. Yeah, exactly. You just... Uh, yeah. The Irish goodbye, yeah. The Irish right. goodbye, yeah. What's the, what, what's the good... Is it the Italian goodbye where you'd have to stop and say goodbye to everybody and then do it again? And kiss everyone? <laughs> yeah, kiss everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sing a better song is a great phrase and, and like I say, boils down much of what this movie means. Her dad is an asshole giving her the nth degree over the fucking baby issue. Jesus, yeah. fuck off, dad. Rita's father. Yeah. All the men in her life, really. Yeah, and well, except for I guess Michael Caine. Yeah. I guess that's why she's so drawn to him. Yeah. Um, but Rita's father, yeah, he says something along the lines of like, "If you were my wife, I'd have you drowned." Yeah. Which is crazy. And yeah. then she says something to him, and then Denny says, "Don't talk to your father that way." I'm like, "Did you not just hear what he said, yeah. dude?" Oh, also, there's a kid that we, we see a kid at a wedding drinking beer. Yeah. Did we see that in a different movie. What what movie was that? We saw that in. Was it they took a kid into a strip club and he started drinking the beer? Was that a movie I saw on my own? Maybe that was a TV show I saw on my own. It actually does sound familiar, but I can't place it. Uh, but yeah, Denny gives her an ultimatum after their kind of blow up, and he fucking turfs her. He fucking turfs her. Yeah, but so I mean, like, were they going to work? No, it's not that they were going to work, but he fucking turfs her to the street, so she's got to like go find a place to live and everything. And that's where she. And that's when yeah, she uh, she gets the flatmate. Um, what I what I really like is. Um, when Rita when Rita goes and see Rita goes and sees Macbeth, and she's so excited about yeah. Macbeth that she goes into the school and interrupts uh, Michael Caine's class and like wants to talk to him, and she's like, "I saw a play," and she's like, and, and he's like, "Oh, uh, great! So, but what's wrong?" And she's like, "Nothing. It was fantastic." Like, she just had to tell someone how awesome it was, and I love how she just enjoys it at the base level. Mm. Mm. She doesn't. She's not looking for deeper meaning and stuff. And when, even when she goes into their classroom to sit down, she says, "Oh, I'm not as smart as all them. I didn't see that. I just had a good time." Yeah. Well, the fact that she went to it and enjoyed it, like she says, "Like I thought it was going to be so boring, but it was so electric." You know. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. I like the uh, bit. So when she goes to meet for the uh, to get an apartment for the first t- or to meet with Trish. Michael Caine's a bit concerned about her and she gives a quote that made me laugh where she says, if I end up as a white slave, I'll send you a postcard. <laughs> she has so many good one-liners. Yeah. Um, she wears a weird leopard print outfit at one point, like 80s, like Olivia Newton-John almost workout. Well, that's when she's copying her flatmate, Trish. Yes. Um, yeah, trying to dress eccentrically like her. But I, I want to mention, because you mentioned the scene where Denny leaves her, that shot of Rita by herself when Denny walks away is one of the saddest shots in this yeah. movie. Like, it's it's done intentionally like from far away, and it's a wide shot, and she's just there in the middle all by herself. Yeah. Hmm. Poor lady. She works at a... I didn't know they had theme restaurants in the early 80s, but she goes and works at this bistro, which is a 20s-themed restaurant called yeah. Flappers, I think, or something. <laughs> so when you go in, uh, they take all your money. 
and yeah. uh, <laughs> they make you sell your children. It's from nineteen. It's a 1929 themed restaurant right after the stock market. Crash. Yeah. So the like, food is very, very, the portions are very small. Well, you could trade your kids in for yes. more food. And, and you could get yourself some uh, illegal bathtub gin. Yeah. Because this is the American 20s, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, the, uh, the, the manager of the restaurant is Al Capone. Yeah. Another thing I see in this movie that made me think of Are You Being Served is, uh, and, and I think this is probably a tradition, maybe more so in British schools and places like this. Brits, let me know. But they're all singing, they're all sitting around and the teacher hasn't come in. And so they all start singing, why are we waiting? You know, to the Christmas song, which I, uh, what is it? Uh, come let us adore him, I guess. is the, Oh, is come the let us adore him. Yeah. But anyway, so they're saying, why are we waiting? And they do that on already being served at one point when they're in the cafeteria waiting for their lunch and it's not being served. Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, that's come all ye faithful. Yeah, it's a different song. No, that's, just, that's, that's the song. Oh, okay. It is the same one. Yeah. Time? Okay. Oh, why are we waiting? Okay. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Th- I thought that was fun. It must be a British tradition, folks. If you're from Britain, you've sang that in class. Let us know. And if you're from Canada, you've, of course, heard the Bowser and Blue uh, variation on that. Why are we waiting? We must be masturbating. <laughs> I was not familiar with that Bowser and Blue bit, but to be fair, my I think the totality of my Bowser and Blue is their Christmas special, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. You never heard their Sylvester Stallone bit? I don't think so. I used to eat cereal every morning. My mom gave me Rambos. <laughs> These guys are great. Musical comedy folks, you'll love them. No balls at all. <laughs> <laughs> Love them. Montreal proud. But enough with Bowser and Blue. Check out their Christmas special. It's available everywhere. Do they still do that? Do they still do their thing? I mean, I think they run it on Comedy Network every year. It's probably 20 years old. But now. do they still like perform? I think they're still out there, yeah. Wow. Even during COVID-19, well. Well, I mean, I don't know if they're right, right, this, right this second, <laughs> oh, just, but. Just defying, just anti-maskers, Bowser and Blue. That's crazy. He's a mean fucking drunk. Frank? Weird, weird dark Kane? turn. What? Michael Caine? Yeah, Michael Caine, weird fucking drunk, weird dark turn on Trish. I like when Michael Caine goes to the disco, because that was kind of cool. Michael Caine dancing <laughs> yeah. was on my bucket list. <laughs> I, was I was so happy Drunkenly to see trying. He's like, I don't dance. And then he's just like, oh. And, the, and it's a crazy fucking disco with the light, big light rigs above everything moving around. Yeah. I want to go there. Um, yeah, and then that's basically it. Uh, she was going to blow him, but then she gave him a haircut and... Uh, Hallway at the airport, gets her results, they go about their lives. And just to go back to the smoking thing for a second, yeah. because when she stops she stops smoking when she comes back, and that's the first, I mentioned that's the first cue that she's changed. Yeah. After Trisha's attempt on her own life, she, she goes back to smoking again. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could argue she's stressed, but I think that's the movie trying to indicate us that maybe she's kind of back to where she was, or at least she's made another change. She, she's, uh, yeah, she's changed a lot positively, but she's also gotten a dose of reality. Maybe that dose of reality. Oh, the goes gravity. Oh, the old gravity. Oh, the old gravity. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> that's basically the song, yeah. yeah. So that was, yeah, so that was, um, that was Educating Rita. Let's get into, let's get into the awards here, Jason. All right. So this movie goes to the Oscars, uh, does not win any, no, but is nominated for three awards. Oh. Should care to guess? Uh, best supporting actress for her because she's a woman. She's actually got best lead actress oh, nomination. Good, good, good. Uh, Michael Caine for best actor. Yeah, and uh, 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 the, the the music guy for best score. <laughs> no. Oh, best screenplay maybe. Best adapted screenplay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so best actor that year is won by Robert Duvall in Tender Mercies. 
Never saw uh, it. Best Actress is won by Shirley MacLaine in terms of endearment. Didn't see it, but no, it exists. It swept. And Adapted Screenplay is also terms of endearment. That was it, a big year. It also it goes to the BAFTAs, and it is nominated for Best Supporting Actress for, for Maureen Lippman, who played Trish, which I think is a really inspired choice. Yeah. For the the flatmate, I think that's a great that's that's awesome. She didn't win, but that year was won by Jamie Lee Curtis in Trading Places. Mm-hmm. Uh, most promising newcomer Julie Walters is nominated. Uh, the winner, of course, is we all know and love Phyllis Logan in Another Time, Another Place. Yeah, it's such a great uh, movie. Yeah, um, and best adapted screenplay it is nominated for and is won by a film which we watch every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Uh, heat and Dust. Ooh, yeah. That's that's our weekly movie, old Heat and Dust. It's <laughs> yep. Heat and Dust Hour. Gets hot and dirty in this room, buddies. It's weird because it's three hours and 40 minutes. It takes a lot of our day. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to look that up. I don't know if it's that long. <laughs> but it wins three awards. Care to guess? Actor, actress, and screenplay? So best actor Michael Caine wins, and he actually ties. This is one of the fir- one of the few times that there's a tie in the votes. Wow! He ties with Dustin Hoffman for Tootsie. So did he have to fight him? <laughs> no, they both won. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, Julie Walters wins her best actress. Nice. And it wins best film. Oh wow! Best overall film. Nice. Um, I do want to play Julie Walters winning her award for best actress because she is pissed drunk. Yay! And Christopher Reeve gets to present. And we've, heard, we've talked about him on the show He's before. walking. May I, may I just say that it's very nice to think that so many English names heard here tonight will also be heard in Los Angeles next month. <laughs> and in the spirit of that, the winner of Best Film Actors is Julie Walters for Educating Reader. Thank you. Um, thank you, Superman. <laughs> thank you. And, um, I don't know what else to say. I didn't expect this. This is absolutely extraordinary. I haven't got a speech prepared. Except, has anyone got a carrier bag? Because I'm not going... <laughs> I'm not going on home on the tube with this, I tell you. I, oh, no, but thank you. Thank you, Lewis Gilbert, for everything. And... Yeah. Thanks, Lewis, for for fighting for me to do the part. And um, thank you for Willie Russell. Yeah. For writing such a wonderful part and everything. Thank you. I didn't know what to say, but thank you. That's lovely. God, it's great. Thanks very much.
Um, but yeah, and then later, of course, when Michael Caine wins Best Actor, she heckles him from the yeah. crowd. <laughs> and at one point, he has to be like, thank you, Julie. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's, she's told this story like on talk shows since. She's like, I was pissed drunk that night. <laughs> incredibly intoxicated. Oh. I don't think she expected to win. No, no, so clearly I, not. So, she didn't prepare a speech or anything. Yeah, so I think she was just like, I'm just going to sit here and get drunk. Although she showed up because at least two of the other actors didn't because they just had pictures of them. We had the benefit of video, guys. That's right. We could see that two of the actresses actresses were not in attendance. God damn it. I do like Christopher Reeve also saying, like, I'm glad to see that all of you are going to be here at the real awards yeah, next exactly. <laughs> Where it really matters, guys. <laughs> Fuck the Oscars. We're all about the BAFTAs. That's right. The real awards. Um, this movie gets pretty much acclaim across the board. But I do want to talk about Roger Ebert because he did not like this movie wow. very much. What did Roger say? He gave this film two stars out of four. Which is, you know, it's not the worst score. That's middling. It's a thumbs down, though. Yeah. Um, he called the film a forced march through a formula relationship. He said Russell's screen adaptation added mistresses, colleagues, husbands, in-laws, students, and a faculty committee that were all unnecessary and said that the playwright slash screenwriter started with an idealistic, challenging idea and then cynically tried to broaden its appeal. I think he just tried to turn it into a movie. Yeah, I think Ebert's really hung up on the play. I think he really liked the play, and he had a hard time with the. Maybe adaptation. we would have a different view of it if we'd seen the play first. I'll give I'll give that to Roger, but like yeah, maybe, geez, back off, back <laughs> off, dude. This movie was pretty good. But I like to think I like to think too that like I can I like to think that I can separate that sometimes too. Just though. remember, I love Roger Ebert, but he gave Escape from L.A. three stars. So I mean, see what you think about that. He also gave Fight Club two stars. Let's not mm, forget that. And, mm. and Beauty Shop somehow got three and a half. So, well, you know, people make mistakes. People people do crazy things. He said Speed 2 was the hit of the summer. <laughs> I'm not joking about that. That it's was pr- it has to be on the box. Gene Siskel also liked the movie. Nice. Good job, um, guys. Yeah, so, I mean, everybody's got different opinions. But so, I just think it's interesting that Ebert... Um, I mean, I think the Rotten Tomatoes, it's like 80% of critics. Yeah. But he seems to be the biggest, like, dissenting voice yeah. um, to that. So this movie cost... Four million pounds, and it made in the U.S. fourteen point six million dollars. So handily making its money back, no yeah. problem. So it's a modest success. Yeah. So educating Rita, what did we think? I was educated. Mm. No, I really liked it. Really yeah. liked it. The fact that it, it subverted my expectations from uh, uh, being like a steamy, uh, a taboo sex drama between a student and a teacher. I'm glad it did because it, it ultimately worked better, I think, and because and, she legitimately is going somewhere in life. And that character, I, I think that character is going places, and that makes me feel happy. Yeah, it's, it, it is kind of a life-affirming at the end. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I think, and this is the second of two Lewis Gilbert movies, and it's two slam dunks as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Two very different movies. Very different movies. Yeah. Um, but you could really see, I mean, clearly he liked working with Michael Caine. Mm. Um but you can really see like the talent, uh, the filmmakers kind of talent coming into play here. Yeah. Like he really just is great at bringing out performances in his actors. He writes really good female parts. He does. Yes. Like we talked about Alfie being, you know, some stuff that was dodgy, but, but, the, but the female characters were great. Strong. Exactly. Yeah. Strong female roles in that movie. And, and this one too, I mean, Julie Walters, I mean, forget about it. Almost wins an Academy Award in her mm. first movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ridiculous right deserves it all yeah the way. insane i i think i think she even out as great as michael kane is in this movie i think she outshines him oh yeah no doubt michael kane there is is there providing her the support she needs mm-hmm. to have this performance and, and i don't think he would be would argue with that no 
He better not, anyways. Yeah, he's 87. I can take him. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. <laughs> he's seen some shit. That's true. But you know what his, his phrase is? Uh, what do we do when we fall down? <laughs> we get back up, That's Mr. Right. Wayne. That's right. I don't know why I turned into Sean Connery at the end there. <laughs> Mr. Wayne. Mr. Wayne. What? I'm your new Alfred. I'm Alfred. What do we do when we fall down? We get back up. What if, what if Sean Connery came into retirement to be Alfred in the Batman? Listen, I know you sparkle like a little vampire fairy, but this isn't my this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> Don't they have somebody weird playing Batman in that or playing Alfred in that movie? Uh, Is it like Oscar Isaac or somebody that seems far too young? Yeah, I think it's like uh, Josh Hutcherson. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah, Peter from The Hunger Games. It's that, that, it's that kid from uh, Room. That's Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> Well, I guess he's kind of older now, but yeah. still too young. He's he'd be a bit of a chubby Alfred. Yeah. Do you what's weird about Haley Joel Osment is that only his face hasn't aged. Yeah, I know. Every, yeah, exactly. exactly. It he looks me exactly out. the same in the face. It weirds me out. Yeah. A little bit. Even with the beard, it's like I know that kid. Like no offense to him, but it's weird. No, no, no offense to him at all. I love Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. He's wonderful. He's great in Tusk. Yes. All right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Educating Rita was fantastic. Mm. I really like this movie. Um, it's the best of the new batch of 20 movies we talked about yeah. so far. And the worst. Absolutely. Um, as you like to make that joke as well. Every time. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's going to be a really good one. I think it being 83 on the... Or, sorry, 84 on this list yeah. seems really low. I kind of understand because I think it's I think it's got to do with it being a newer-ish movie. In the, in the span of this, you know... It was only 16 years before this list was made. Yeah, so I think there's less perspective, and I think it probably has less influence and, you know, um, less of a foundational choice. But, man, it's just really just a good. solid, solid movie. Yeah, and emotional, and never feels like, you know, it never feels like saccharine or anything like that. It's just solid acting, solid, great writing, wonderful direction. Rent it today. On iTunes. Get it at your local Jumbo Video. Oh, I actually went modern for the first time. No. <laughs> Never. Jason, I sold out. Never. You can you can get this in an abridged 16 millimeter version from your local Woolco. Watch it today at Quentin Tarantino's next private screening. And bring cocaine. Do you think you're going to need to bring cocaine to Quentin Tarantino's I, I think, house? I think it would just be polite. <laughs> what is it, BYOC? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's always BYOC, baby. <laughs> Oh, oh man. Okay, so we talked about educating Rita. That is that is locked up. That is put away. That is going to be ranked later. Yes, sir. But now we need to find out what we're going to talk about next week. And I believe it is your turn to roll the dice, or my turn to roll the dice. It is your turn to roll the dice, right? Because I've I've read the list last week. Yes, you told us that we were watching educating Rita. Yes. So this time, as the cat hair threatens to suffocate my larynx. I will take out the dice. Now you have a green and a red dice. One of them is a D10, a tens D10. Yes, it is the green one. Oh, good. So people will know, so they can follow Hold along. Hold up to the home. microphone. <laughs> and the red one is a is a regular D10. And we're gonna find out what number on the list on the BFI Top 100 list that we are gonna talk about next week. And folks, if you want, go to uh, DraftKings.com and you can place bets on how many rolls it's gonna take us. To get a movie. Because it's going to start to get dodgy yes, at this point. it's getting there. It's getting there. All right. Because we, we got 40 movies left. Uh, four, 39 movies 39 left. movies left, yeah. Not 39 steps, 39 movies. Well, I mean, whatever. All right. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. We are in the 40s. 40s. Okay. We, oh, we got quite a few here. All right. So let's see what we got. 44. 
You've already done Black Narcissus. No, not watching it again. All right, here we go. Pretty movie. Needed to see it once. We're in the tens. Okay, we got we got a decent amount. Eight, eight. 18, sorry, 18. We've already done Henry V. Oh, that's good. I don't want to see it again. All right, let's move on. One more. Let's do this, baby. Number three. Number three is where it's happening. 60. We got 60. We're in the 60s. Oh, yeah, okay. We got a few. 68. Okay, I think you're going to like this one, Jason. I think you're going to like that you landed on this. We're actually going to do a war film. Ooh. It's called The Dam Busters. Oh, I know of that movie. From 1955. Sweet, that's about airplanes. From 1955, directed by Michael Anderson. I feel like that's a movie that for years Stephen Fry has been trying to get remade, of all people. So there you go. We're going to go to a war movie. Um, Something that's not super common on this list. There's lots of movies about with the war in the background or about the war, but not necessarily about combat. Mm. And I think this is one of the few combat movies. Yeah. yeah. Fucking right. This is not the American film as to where every movie is platoon. That's right. Every <laughs> single movie, hundred, hundred lists of platoon. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, great. We're going to talk about the Dam busters next week. I know, I know nothing of what to expect. I know that I know a little bit of the history that it was about, uh, the Dam Busters refers to bombing runs that were made on the various dams in like the Ruhr region, the industrial region in Germany during the war to try to help disrupt the war effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's about, that's literally all I know. All right. Well, that's what we're going to talk about the Dam Busters next week. But until then, Jason, they can find us on Facebook just by searching for Scream. And Gundre. They can find us on, they can also find our Facebook group uh, for Screen and Country group. Check it out. Check Join it out us. If you talk like to it. us. Say say whatever. I mean, hey. Correct, Jason. Adam Juris just showed up in the comments and and set me straight on John Hancock versus John Henry. And thank you, Adam. You have uh, uh, made my day, and I thank you for the rest of my life. Your your day, your week, your month, and even your year. That's right. Uh, So check that out. We're also on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. I'm out there on Twitter, often retreating uh, reductress tweets, so you can enjoy those as well. Educate yourself on Jason's Twitter. Check it out. Do your own research, man. With misogyny. I mean, I hope not. (laughs) Um, But until next week, when we talk about a war film. War. I just have to say to you, Jason, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. I am going to educate you. Ah, you're going to educate me, are you? Why don't you get over here and you take your shirt off and then you're really out trying to educate me if you want to educate me. 